0: Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, and onward. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, He took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way He said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn Him to death, and deliver Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and He will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons kneeling before him. She asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they said to him, we're able He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant." And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him, and behold, they were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to Him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed Him. Heavenly Father, we pray for Your grace as we look to Your Word. And we pray, O Lord, for eyes to see and ears to hear these wonderful truths. Speak to us, O Lord, we pray. For Lord, as we properly understand Your Word, as it is properly proclaimed, Lord, we believe You speak. And that is exactly what we desire, Lord, is to hear You speak this morning. Speak to us, O Lord, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. Well, last week we looked at the powerful message of the Gospel. and It is indeed a powerful message, isn't it? Uh, We saw that there is indeed a plan and not only a plan, but a divine plan that's being perfectly carried out. And that is so important because to the natural eye, when we look around this world, there doesn't seem to be any kind of plan, but uh, nothing but chaos, doesn't it? Uh, That's to the natural eye, the eye of the flesh, if you will. But to the eye of faith, uh, things are altogether different, aren't they? It's very clear from God's Word that there's a plan, And it's very clear that this plan is being perfectly executed. It's very clear that not even the gates of Hades can prevail against this plan. And uh, if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you're a recipient and a beneficiary of this great plan, which is really tremendous news, isn't it? Tremendous, tremendous news. And the good news is that Jesus has gloriously accomplished uh, salvation for us as part of this plan Now, last week, we spent our time on verses 17, 18, and 19. And I spent a lot of time talking about the fact that this this is the third time that Matthew records uh, Jesus saying to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem. He must be handed over to sinful men. He must be crucified and killed. He must be raised on the third day. And we we spent time on that uh, to try to uh, glean just what is Matthew's intentions for repeating this three times, uh, or more specifically, uh, more accurately, what is the Holy Spirit's intentions for having this recorded uh, three times for us? And this morning, we're going to continue to flesh that out. And we might pick up right where we left off by saying simply this. Uh, The first time back in chapter 16, Uh, where Matthew gives us the first record of Jesus telling His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem, it's very clear that the disciples still do not understand. We know this because Peter rebukes Jesus in chapter 16. And again in chapter 17, uh, Matthew uh, records Jesus telling His disciples a second time. And in our chapter 20, we see He He is telling them a third time. I think Jesus told the disciples more than three times. Uh, The issue here is that Matthew is recording it three times. But when we come to verses 20 and and forward, we see that now uh, these three times, uh, the disciples still do not get it. They still do not see. Their eyes have not been opened. Their eyes are still blind to this particular aspect of Jesus' mission. Now, how do I know they don't get it? How can I say they don't get it? Because in chapter 20, starting with verse 20, they're still vying for who's the greatest. They're still concerned about which one of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom, aren't they? And while they're still concerned by that, I hope in the next few minutes to show very clearly they still don't get the heart of what Jesus has come to do. And the first thing, and I think the most obvious thing that we see in our text this morning, is self-seeking, don't we? Self-seeking. In verse twenty, the mother of James comes up and she kneels before Jesus. It says, "Say to these two sons of mine, uh, say, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your kingdom." And uh, it's interesting, it's, it's hard for us to, to see this. Uh, we can see it from the English translations, um, but it, uh, it's a little harder to see from the English translations that when Jesus responds, he, he's not simply responding to mom here. Uh, he's, he's using second-person language with the word you. Uh, in, our, in English today, um, we, we really can't distinguish from one person uh, you to two person you if I'm if we're talking about one person we we or were we talking to one person we might say you but if we're talking to a gang of people we would still say you although as you get closer to Pittsburgh you hear the the expression yuns when we were studying Greek in seminary uh, um, I had an excellent Greek professor and we you know when we were taking exams we were to write the word yuns whenever we understood that it was second person language Yuns uh, is not correct English, but that's how we spoke. That's how we made the, di- the distinction. What Jesus is saying here, Mom asks the question, but Jesus answers by saying Yuns. Uh, what's the significance of this? The significance of this is that Jesus is responding to at least James and John here, uh, possibly to James, John, and Mom at the same time. And he basically says, "Listen." Um, You fellas don't have any idea what you're asking here. Uh, You you don't have any idea what you're asking. And now, it it also appears that uh, James and John may have put mom up to this. Um, uh, It it appears that way, uh, that they may have put mom up to that. But whether they put mom up to doing this or not, uh, they're certainly not objecting as mom does this. We hear nothing in the text but saying, Oh, mom, would you quit it, please? Uh, nothing of the sort, do we? Um, Now, I've often wondered, as I've read this story over the years, I've often wondered just what would happen if Jesus would have said, all right, sure, Uh, James, you can be on my right, and uh, John, you can be on my left, no problem. Would that have been the end of the problem? No. Why? Because it's more exalted to be on the right side than the left side. And I'm sure that some some issues would have developed between James and John. John would think, what's James doing on the right side? I should be on the right side. And if they step into eternity with this kind of disposition, what will happen even to the guy that's on the right side? Is he going to be content to remain on the right side for all eternity with this kind of heart disposition? I submit to you, no, it's not going to be long before he doesn't want to be on the right anymore. He wants to be in the center. There's just no end to self-seeking, is there? It's never satisfied. Now, commentaries often point out that mom is self-seeking here as well. Notice what she says to Jesus. Uh, she says um, uh, in verse 21, say, to, uh, say that these two sons of mine... Uh, notice that word, these two sons of mine. Uh, if these two sons could get into this position, this would be some serious bragging rights now, wouldn't it? Look at my little Henry, look at him, he's up there on the right side of Jesus, So there's my little junior on the left. Um, serious uh, bragging rights, and one of the signs of a proud heart is doting over children. You know, uh, My little Henry is this, this, and this, and it don't even necessarily have to be my little Henry. My full-grown Henry is this, this, and this, and and so it goes, and so it goes. And uh, these kinds of conversations are never fun for the listener, are they? You ever notice that when you're in those kinds of conversations? At the very least, you want to change the subject, but generally speaking, you just want to get away. Um, it, they're not fun for the listener as well. One, the, the point that I'm trying to make here is doting over children is a symptom of self seeking and excessive pride. So we see that James and John are self seeking here. It's pretty easy to see that mom is self-seeking here. And if you look down with me to verse 24, you'll see uh, there's others who are self-seeking here. Uh, When the ten heard it, that is when they heard about this incident, uh, mom going to Jesus and saying, okay, I want to get James up there and John up there um, on the right and on the left. The uh, ten hear it. And what was their response? They said, well, sure, that sounds like a great idea. I'm happy for James and John. That would be great. Um, That's not how it goes, is it? When they heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Why aren't they happy for them? Well, um, (laughs) they also have self-seeking hearts, don't they? They'd be happy maybe if it was one of them, but when the suggestion is made, it could be one of the brothers who are equals, Um, We don't like that very much. It does not sit well with a a self-seeking heart. So our text reveals that James and John are self-seeking, Mom is self-seeking, and the other ten disciples are self-seeking. And I think that if we're really honest, I don't think we can escape the indictment either, can we? I mean, most of us would not have the audacity to send Mom into the workplace to talk to the boss to see if we couldn't get... Um, up a little higher on the corporate ladder. I don't think anyone in this room would do such a thing. Um, But when one of our equals have been promoted above us, uh, sometimes our hearts can uh, reveal uh, different things. We say, what's this guy doing ahead of me? I've been here longer. I know more about what I'm doing, etc., etc. And it might even be true. But we experience that animosity uh, sometimes. What is up with that? Well, it's... Oftentimes, it's self-seeking, isn't it? And self-seeking is the way of this world because self-seeking is the way of the fallen human heart, isn't it? Uh, That's very clearly in view. Uh, But Jesus is revealing another way here for us. And we might call it the way of submission, humility, and sacrificial service. Um, Submission, humility, and sacrificial service. And this really is, I think we're starting to see the linkage that's between these three paragraphs or these three stories, if you will. Uh, Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm gonna, I, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be, I'm gonna be uh, handed over uh, to sinful men. I'm going to be crucified. Uh, on the third day, I'm going to be raised. And these fellows... Now these fellows are still concerned about who's the greatest. And then we come to this story of these two blind men who are being healed. Uh, Could there be a relationship between these stories? I suggest that there is a relationship between these stories, and the relationship is spiritual blindness. It's spiritual blindness. Uh, Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I would submit, places the healing of these two blind men in this particular place where He does, in order to give us a graphic illustration of the need to have our eyes opened. Because at the present moment, the eyes of the disciples are still closed at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Aren't they? That's the linkage between our texts. Well, let's take a look at these three heart dispositions that are lacking. The submission, humility, and sacrificial service. Uh, We looked at uh, Matthew 16 last week where Jesus says He must go to Jerusalem. We talked about that for a few minutes last week. Jesus says He must. Why? Because that's the plan. He must go to Jerusalem. That's the plan. And even when Jesus is in the, the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that He's arrested... He asks the Father for another way. He knows the plan, doesn't He? He knows it perfectly well. And He says to the Father, Father, if there's some other way, if we can go about this some other way, I'm all years here. But then He adds, not my will be done, but your will be done. Submission. He's perfectly submitted to the Father. Uh, even uh, even to death. And this is the kingdom way. This is the way of the king. And it's also what Jesus wants us to see here from this passage is it's the way of the redeemed. It's the way of, of a child of Christ or a child of God, if you will. The kingdom is the way of humility um, as well. Not just submission, but humility. And in fact, without humility, there's going to be no submission, is there? Humility is certainly... Uh, necessary uh, for uh, submission. And we see the humility uh, of Jesus here. And there are all kind of verses I could point to, but take a look at verse 23. And notice how Jesus answers mom's question in verse 23. He says to her, to sit at my right hand and left. And I, he's speaking to James and John as well here, I believe. He's speaking to all of them. Uh, to sit at my right hand at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. What's interesting here is that Jesus refuses to jump rank. When we study the, 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 the being of God, and, and we begin to discover that God is three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, as we read the passages, as we read the stories, as we read the, the biblical data that concerns this theology, we begin to discover that there is indeed a hierarchy within the Godhead, the Father, then the Son, then the Holy Spirit. And the point here is, uh, Jesus is the Son of God in, in the flesh. The very Son of God in the flesh. And He is content to be the Son of God. The disciples are vying to move up the corporate ladder. Uh, They're jockeying for the highest position in the kingdom. But we hear Jesus, uh, He's content in His spot as the Son of God. He's equal in power and glory. But there is indeed a hierarchy there. And we see the hierarchy here in Jesus' answer. This is one of those texts we go to to see the hierarchy. Uh, This thing you guys are asking, listen, the Father's got this all covered here. And by doing so, Jesus is showing that He is perfectly content to be in the station that He is in. And we see not only submission, but we also see uh, great humility. Um, I might put this still another way that I think is really important. uh, If you don't remember any of the things that I'm saying this morning, remember this. Jesus is not preoccupied with Himself. That's probably the easiest thing to remember, and I think it might even be the most effective thing for us to remember. Jesus is not preoccupied with himself. Now, this would be a good time as any to, con- to, to, to comment on the dreadfulness of being preoccupied with self. You ever notice this one thing about self is it's never satisfied. Um, I hope nobody's ever gone through the, the dreadful experience of working for a boss who can't be satisfied. Um, it, that's actually enslaving no matter what you do for him or her they're never satisfied with your work I mean could you imagine going to work every day like that I hope nobody here does that I hope that's not happening to anyone here I hope once in a while you receive a that a boy or a that a girl but self is like that self is never satisfied as I've already suggested if James could have got to the right hand of of the side I don't think he would have been satisfied with that in eternity with that disposition Because there's still room to go. There's still room to grow. That has to be dealt with. Jesus has to deal with this. Uh, The the, the self is, is tyrannical because it's never, ever, ever satisfied. So we see the way of the kingdom is submission. The way of the kingdom is humility. Without humility, there'd be no submission. But thirdly, the way of the kingdom is sacrificial service. Uh, if you look at verses 25 through 28 with me, uh, Jesus, he, you know, He's always using these incidents uh, as opportunities to teach. And that's what He does. He kind of calls a huddle this morning. Uh, he calls them to Himself and He says, You know, fellas, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 26, this, this, isn't, this shouldn't be so with you guys. It shall not be so with you. You see that? But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And verse 28, which is so vitally important. In fact, it's one of the most remarkable verses in the Bible. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. In other words, the way of this world is self-seeking, but this shall not be so with the children of God. It shall not be so with us. Uh, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Okay, we're hearing all this. I, I think we all got this. Uh, we're to be um, uh, submissive and humble and uh, self-sacrificial uh, servants. Okay, we got it. Um, we look into our hearts I look into my heart, and we find out we're really not that way much of the time, are we? Um, how do we get there? You know, if I concluded everything right now, wrapped up, and Donald come up and we sing the closing hymn, this would be an awful sermon. Um, because we would go out of here thinking, all right, um, what I really need to do is I need to just pull, roll up the sleeves, and I need to really start trying harder. Uh, in my own strength, I'm going to be humble. In my own strength, I'm going to be submissive. In my own strength, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be uh, uh, self-sacrificing. And uh, boy, that would be tyrannical um, because none of us would be able to accomplish that. So the big question before us, and if I fail to answer this question, then this sermon is an outright failure. Uh, The the big question before us is, how do we do this? How do we do this? How in the world did we become like this? And the answer really um, is in verse 28, but let let me develop it for a few minutes. Let's let's look at the things that I've been talking about, uh, maybe from a slightly different angle. When we are self-seeking in the sense of our passage we are really attempting to uh, establish self-value it is really what we're trying to do, is it not? I mean, self-value by way of accomplishments. A lot of times when we meet one another, uh, we, we meet some stranger, or we meet someone we don't know very well, we, a lot of times small talk involves, okay, what do you do? You know, What do you do for a living? Does anyone want to say, well, I'm I'm a janitor over at uh, uh, some lowly place uh, down the street. Does anybody really want to say that? It might be the case, but do we want to say that? A lot of times we try to establish our identity through our vocation. We try to establish identity uh, really largely by making these comparisons. Uh, We compare our accomplishments, if you will, uh, to the accomplishments of other people. Um, we're always trying to establish self value by way of association. You know, James and John, they want to be, I mean, if they could get on the right hand of Jesus and on the left hand of Jesus, look where they're at. You look forward, there's Jesus. You know, guess who's next to Jesus? Two other really important individuals. They're important because they're next to Jesus. You know, look at those two guys self identity, self importance by way of association. A lot of times we try to establish our self-identity through the accumulation of status and possessions. You know, John and James and John very much looking for status, aren't they? The ten, they're doing it as well. They're just not putting mama to go forward for them. They're not taking action on it, but it's what's going on in their hearts. Sometimes we might simply think, okay, if you know, we're at the workplace and we don't like the way our things are going sometimes in our heart, we'll say, you know, if I was in charge, I would do things this way. And I would do things this way. And we'll hear a lot of that kind of sentiment by people who have never been in charge. And if you've never been in charge, you have no idea or clue one what you would do. That always um, makes me chuckle when I hear folks who have never been in charge of anything. Uh, Just go on and on and on how things should be. And I think, you know, when you are in charge... Don't think for a second there won't be somebody uh, on the ladder saying, "Boy, if I was in charge, I wouldn't be doing things the way you're doing them." That whole notion—what are we doing? We're comparing what we would do. We're comparing our opinions or our ways with what we see of others. It's self—it's the self-identity. We're trying to shine ourselves up, if you will, by looking at all of these other people by comparing ourselves to others. It's self-value by comparing our opinions of ourselves with others, our accomplishments with others, association, accumulation, morals, our morals versus their morals, uh, our opinion versus their opinion. You know what the tyranny of all this is? Is it's proud. It's proud. And self South will never be satisfied this way. So how do we become free of all of this? How do we... How do we find freedom from this? Well, it's in verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom. That word ransom is carrying the freight that our question is asking for. What does that mean? Well, let's back up for a minute and let's ask another question. Why is it so important for us that we shine ourselves up? Why do we work so hard at shining ourselves up? It's because we know there's things wrong. We know that we haven't hit the mark. In fact, the more awake we are, the more we realize that we've dreadfully missed the mark. In fact, I don't even think we're even going to call it missing the mark. We know that boy, uh, the wheels of my life and the wheels of my soul have really come off the track completely. Now here Jesus comes along and says, listen, I've come to, to give my life as a ransom for you. What does that mean? It means, well, your problem here, the guilt, the shame, and all of that stuff is stemming from the fact that you realize that you are going to have to stand before the justice bar of God, and you realize that you're never going to be able to stand there, but if you can try to shine yourself up by looking at all these other people, then maybe you got a chance. Maybe you're not so bad. But the fact is, the biblical uh, uh, answer to that is we're worse than we think we are. But then Jesus comes and says, listen, I'm going to give my life as a ransom for you. In other words, I'm going to give my life, I'm going to lay my life down at the altars of, the, of justice that's crying out your name. So that it will no longer cry out your name. And Jesus accomplishes this. That's why he must go to Jerusalem. That's why he must be handed over. That's why he must be crucified. That's why he must be raised on the third day. Because He wants to shine up His people. Jesus is going to that cross to shine us up. And we need shined up. But once Jesus shines us up, there's no more need for us to make these comparisons. Why do we need to compare ourselves to other people when Jesus has shined us up? Let me be a little clearer. Let me me add one more aspect to this that I think will make this even clearer. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, positionally, you are perfect. What do I mean by that? By your position in Christ, when the Father looks at you, He doesn't see all the dreadful stuff that we have done. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are as shiny as you can be. Now, there's another aspect of this. Progressively, we realize we're still sinners and perfection awaits glory in Christ. I'm not talking about the progressive part. We won't make progress with the progressive part until we understand the positional part. The positional part is so very important. In Christ we are shining in Christ we are shining and as we begin to grow in that knowledge as we begin to grow in that understanding then this whole notion of needing to make all these comparisons with all of these people it no longer is important it's really kinda foolish and silly Jesus Jesus paid the ransom for me we could say to ourselves why do I need to compare myself to Eddie over here? Why am I doing I don't need to do that. Jesus has already shined me up. I don't have to do that. And the, the, this way of thinking will begin to free us. We won't do it perfectly overnight, and there's nothing that we do that's perfect. But we can grow in this. We can grow in this simply by teaching, by training our minds to think through who we really are in Christ Jesus. You're already shining. How many woke up this morning feeling like you're shining? Well, ask yourself, are you in Christ? You went to bed shining. And you woke up shining just as bright as you went to bed. And there's no need to make any comparisons. There's no need to compare our stuff with other people's stuff. There's no need to worry about who gets promoted, who doesn't. There's no need to fuss over that stuff. This short life will be over in no time, and we're shining. We're headed for glory. Let's be happy for one another. Of course, we're not going to do this perfectly, not in this life, but here's the thing is we find ourselves making these comparisons, and I think we do it all the time. As we find ourselves making these comparisons, remember verse 28. Verse 28. Jesus paid the ransom. He shined us up. And that will give us freedom from the tyranny of self. And it will also bring all of these other heart attributes that are central to Christianity in. Submission. Humility. Sacrificial service. Those things will all follow. They'll follow in in their respective course and in their respective time. So we do not need to compare ourselves. Heavenly Father... We thank you, Lord, that you've given us so very much in your word, Lord. As we study, we find more and more. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would give us progress in this this self-seeking that we see evident in the pages of Scripture by way of the disciples. And Lord, as we we look at them, we see a reflection of our own hearts. And we ask, O Lord, you would please, O Lord, give us the ability uh, to see that if we're in you, O Lord, uh, you have already shined us up. We're already as shiny as we're ever going to be, uh, positionally speaking. I thank you, and we thank you for that, O oh Lord, and we pray, O oh Lord, that you'll help us to think uh, differently uh, about things, Lord, as we, as we look to you and as we begin to see the spiritual blessings that we have in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Everyone said, Amen.